Hello, this is Mike Solosi. Before we get to this week's Retro Encounter, I have a quick public service announcement for you. Retro Encounter is changing its episode numbering system. Our old way made sense at first, identifying episodes by the different games that we played on the show, but almost two years and over 15 bonus rounds later, it's gotten confusing. We've had over 60 episodes, but last week's was officially Retro Encounter 22. That doesn't make sense. So, from now on, we're identifying episodes by their true numbers and not their game numbers. Today is episode 67, next week will be episode 68, and so on. We're also getting rid of the bonus round title and just calling each episode by their number and title. We're not changing the format of the show, however. It's still going to be two game-specific episodes each month, with the rest of the month filled out by off-topic themed episodes or news episodes. Basically, whatever we feel like. All that's changing are their numbers. But that's enough. Thanks for hearing me out, folks. Listen on for Retro Encounter 67. We shall What's up, everyone? Welcome to a very interesting and special episode of Retro Encounter. I'm your host, Josh Curry, but you won't be hearing me talk much. For <laughs> this special, special episode, we have the wonderful Chris Kabauer. What's up, everyone? And we are going to hear an interesting take on things we a lot of times talk about video games on this podcast. Um, a lot of times it is stuff that is older. Occasionally we touch on some kind of more newer things. Um... But we really don't ever hit on any like, kind of like politics or how things work in the industry. Um, you might hear me make fun of like, hey, they should have made this game this way, but we don't actually get into the weeds of how games are made and kind of the logistics of that. Um, but the wonderful thing is Chris is actually in the acting world. He has done some voice work. And so we're today going to talk about kind of some of the voice acting strikes how that all works in the politics, what makes sense, what doesn't, and kind of our general feel, like feeling on it. But for the most part, I'm going to let Chris explain it because he has the wonderful perspective <laughs> of actually being on that side. So, Yay. Yeah. I'm technically on strike. Woo. Strike it up. <laughs> Guess, right? Uh, it's weird because there's always, uh, every year, the union has something on strike. It's just usually not this big. Usually it's and usually it's people actually trying to screw others over, and it and this is just this is a weird one. So we're talking about the voiceover strike that targets very specific companies. Uh, it's not the voice. It's not SAG as a whole striking against the entire video game industry, which I think a lot of people always kind of just assume it is. Uh, in fact, the the notice. And every notice I've been given lists Activision, Blindlight, Core of Discovery Films, which I haven't looked into, but I'm sure 
uh, the connect there is, you know, it as just a publishing label. Voicework Productions, which is a studio that gets used to do voice work. WB Games, Take Two Interactive, Insomniac, uh, Formosa Electronic Arts, Disney Character Voices Inc., uh, and missing one interactive associates incorporated so some of those are weirdest direction along that line i did well because well yeah i know you're reading through i tried to just hit the major Mm -hmm. games names that everyone would know and then i realized well people if they're going to do their research are going to know that there's a few other companies so i should read them all so i tried to start with the obvious ones and then work my way down to the companies that no one's going to know about at the end of the day they have two of the most important because they have activision and ea yep and ea and what's what I don't know because I'm not in negotiations. There's people who do this. Is they're going on strike against the whole company, but it could very much be because of how certain divisions and certain divisions only function. Like something with Activision, it could be how Activision has handled, let's say, the Call of Duty franchise and those studios specifically. It could have nothing to do with Blizzard, but since they're one entity, it's Activision Publishing. Uh, and it is interesting because it's Activision Publishing, not Activision. So it's that kind of, what are you targeting within the company? Like Insomniac, that was a weird one to me. Uh, I'm sure that has to do with, I'm, I'm going to guess it has something to do with Song of the Deep or something like that. That would actually Where, surprise me because Insomniac's kind of part of that team from back in the PS2 games. PS2 days with uh, like Naughty Dog. And you always hear such fantastic things about Naughty Dog. And Insomniac was always kind of like pseudo attached at the hip because they had like you had the Jack and Dexter, uh, Ratchet and Clank, and Sly Cooper. Games. Ratchet and Clank. Like those. Yep. And then like, before that, it was Spyro and Crash. Right. And like the, what you always heard coming out of that was these three teams, although they're three separate teams. They share so much, it's almost like they're the same entity, right? Um, yeah. And then, granted, you fast forward 15 years or whatever, um, you hear only the best things about Naughty Dog, and then to see Insomniac on the list, yeah, that, that definitely surprised me. Well, and again, I'm sure it all comes down to, and that's what's hard to separate, is it looks like, oh my god, Insomniac Games, you're on this list, you've done something. I'm sure they've done, especially again, going to what the agreement has been, you know, the previous collective bargaining, whatever you want to call it, the previous agreement, uh, I'm sure they were never in violation of anything. It's just that they haven't agreed to the current uh, sticking points of the union, and that's why they're on this list. So it's also that weird thing of these companies have done nothing wrong, technically. It's the other thing that kind of needs to be made clear. The only reason why there's a strike against them is because the union wants them to agree to certain terms moving forward. They believe, you know, the way things have been going isn't fair to the constituents of, of the union, and this is what we want, which we'll get into pretty much immediately after I finish this point. So everyone could have, you know, everyone here on this list, WB Games, Insomniac, uh, Activision, EA, Disney, these are all people who could be uh, Take-Two. That Well, Take-Two is a huge, you know, publishing company as well, but they're all probably have done everything right except now for what the union wants. Right. Yeah, so they're not these are bad people or they're screwing anyone over. It's just now they're in violation of what the union is trying to accomplish. Right. They're following Hence, the they're rules that are currently placed. They've never they're not 
in violation of that. No. Taking the next so there's no mis- real mishandling of people or really doing anything wrong, even though it's very easy to – and again, how strikes work, it is very much us versus them. So it always comes across as a a huge fuck you and and sorry, I'm swearing, but oh, I'm sure I'm going to slip a lot with this one because it's it's a weird it's a weird topic. We'll, we'll stamp a mature t- uh, tag. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, th- this actually thank gets you, thank you. this gets so murky because it's so murky. Completely, completely outsider to this. Um, you always have like evil company of the year, and hey, EA won again. And then you see like, oh, look at this. The the voice actors are so upset, and it's like, well, based on all these terrible things I've heard, EA must be treating them terribly. Like, and then you no, you start no, hearing no. things about this, like, oh, this actually doesn't sound terrible. It sounds like they're being treated no. moderately well. Um, and then you hear the other element of, all right, well, the voice actors aren't ha- aren't happy, so they don't want to be doing this. But also, they're going to say like, we want special rights because we should be treated better. But really, we're doing this because we're going to help the the designers and the developers and the programmers. Yeah, I don't like that argument. We'll get into I that. But that I think argument. that I, that argument is is absolute horseshit. Uh, and 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 one thing that I thought was fascinating, uh, timing wise, is IGN. I think it was the last unfiltered they did. Ryan McCaffrey, when he interviews execs and former execs at major companies and talks about their history in the industry and their effect on the industry. And he had Jason Rubin on talking about Naughty Dog, Mm -hmm. one of the founders. And of course, Jason Rubin, his whole story is fascinating in terms of how he started making games, how young he was. And then, of course, he started Naughty Dog, co-founded it, which is the studio. I mean, say what you will about the games they make. Naughty Dog is one of the few studios that people, once they start working there, that's it. You reach the mountain. People don't leave. Or they, they traditionally don't leave Naughty Dog. That's where you end up. That's how people think of it. And Ruben, at one point, it's brought up, you know, talking about uh, unionizing as an industry. And Ruben mentions this is about, you know, this is before he left Naughty Dog, so it's the Jack and Daxter days, the Jack 2 era. Naughty Dog, and he's like, there was actually a meeting that uh, we held, and he says we, and he means it was me, and the heads of about eight other major studios, and we quietly, like it was at a restaurant or somewhere, and it was basically, they sit for a night, I'm sure these conversations have been going on for a while, but they had this one meeting that he references where it was, should we make this a thing? Should we unionize? Because now's the time. If we do it, you know, this is the moment in terms of how everything's going. And they all talked it through and said, the way this business works, the way the model we're working with, and the way it's going to keep developing, no, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to help us out. Now, of course, that was then. Things change. But it was a very interesting perspective to hear amidst to what you were calling out of like, oh, we're doing this for everyone else too. It's like, bullshit. No, you're not. You're saying that because it makes your cause look more righteous. That is not the intent. I will read off the intent because I have the friggin' letter from my union. So the issues, quote-unquote, that we're dealing with here are, again, far simpler than people, I think, traditionally realize. The big one is secondary compensation. And what that means is what the union, what SAG-AFTRA is trying to accomplish, and it's SAG-AFTRA now because the union's merged a couple years back. So even though everyone's going to say SAG, it's technically SAG-AFTRA now. After stands for the American Film and Television Radio Association, I believe. And if I got that wrong, someone's going to correct me. So <laughs> yay for Twitter. Uh, so 
the big thing is this idea of secondary compensation. So a bonus. Uh, the actual lettering in the letter is, you know, we're asking for a reasonable performance bonus for every 2 million copies or downloads sold. So for each 2 million unique subscribers to an online game, and there's a cap at 8 million. The idea being that there would be a a payout at four, uh, maximum four times. 2 million, 4 million, 6 million, 8 million, that's it. So the wording here is that that shakes out to four session payments per principal performer. So I'm going to stop there before, uh, and we'll break, we'll break that down because a lot of people think that this is this is a royalties thing in the traditional sense of royalties and it's not, not even close. Normally, the idea of a royalty is every time something is in usage, you get paid. So if a show syndicated, you know, that's the, the holy grail in this business. If a show syndicated, that means every time it's put on the air – each performer within the show, if they're within that episode, has a cut, basically. So the more successful your show or the more important it is or the, whatever the time slot it's being bought for, the more prime time, the bigger that number is going to be. So the point where some people still get checks of, you know, every month, even though their show was a decade ago, it's still a few thousand. Right. That was my favorite was always uh, Seinfeld. Like oh, yeah. So there are people who still like, forever get paid because of how much, how many times that's been syndicated. But at the same time, like I, I uh, guy was a big influence on me, Stan Cahill, a theater teacher who had a pretty good career out in L.A. as always doing guest stars. And he almost he was it was between him and Perry for Chandler and Friends, and that was his the closest he ever got to being to really making it huge. Uh, but he had a, a season of a show where he was the star for Comedy Central. It was not a good show called Frankie Goes to the Orient. It's goofy and weird. Uh, and I don't think that great, but had great moments, and it was, it was so cool to see Stan, you know, being the lead of a show. Great guy, and he still gets royalty checks for that show because that one season gets put on the air in the most random ass countries. But the check he gets every month is like ten cents because the show's worth jack. Right. Yeah, you're not. It really is just advertisements filler. For... So no. So, and I'm 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 over exaggerating a little bit. It's usually like a buck forty. Woo! That pays for maybe a coffee in New York. So, what voice union or the voice uh, strike by the union is trying to say is, this isn't royalties. This is session fees. So it's not about hey we've hit milestones. You know that means you're going to keep getting paid more because there aren't royalties set up in the in the games industry. A session fee refers to what you're paid to be in the booth. What's interesting is they're trying to get sessions down to three hours. Apparently that's been the norm for a bunch of these game companies for a while, which is nuts. Uh, I always understood it as four hours and two hour blocks, two hour for a commercial kind of thing, like what I've done for subway or other stuff uh, for radio commercials or, you know, a four hour session, let's say, but apparently a lot of the times it's three with games. So what that means is you are paid for three hours to be, in the booth now you could be done in 20 minutes technically and you get paid for your three-hour session it's you're just paid for that full three hours of your day idea there's the concept behind it so how a lot of the contracts work in acting it's like a if you were to work as an extra on a film you're paid you know if it's a union job it's you get paid 158 bucks for eight hours of work you could be done in an hour or it could be the full eight but you're paid for those eight hours 
So you're technically on call for that until they tell you you can leave, even if you do absolutely nothing. Uh, so when you're getting your job, like I'll use my example from commercials I've done. You ahead of time are told, so we're going to pay you, let's say it's 450 bucks or $200 for the session. That could, that's separate. And this is the hard part for me because I, since I haven't done uh, video game acting specifically, I don't know how hundred percent the contracts are structured, but I just know how session fees work. So I, I understand what they're referring to. Uh, so you get paid for your session and then with commercials, you get paid for a buyout kind of thing, which is, or the airtime. They don't do royalties anymore. Market, social media, online, it's changed so much. You don't do what it used to be was, you know, you'd land your, your commercial on TV or your national commercial or your radio thing. And then you'd get paid for its usage. And the more it's used, the more you get paid. Now the contract works in kind of these buyout ideas of, all right, we paid you for your session fee, and then we're going to pay you a set fee. So I usually are, you know, uh, agreed upon by the union, understanding within the context: is it local? Is it national? Is it you know whatever regional? You then get paid for a certain amount of airtime. So with radio stuff, a lot of what I've done are tri-state area and local ads. So it'll be for the next. It's like a usage. That's what they call it. So for like a six weeks, you six week usage, that. It's 400 bucks, let's say, or 250. So now I'm getting paid my session fee and the usage, and that's it. Now they're weird kind of bylines of I recorded a 15-second commercial and a 10-second commercial, which technically count as two different spots. So I got paid for two different spots, usage fee-wise, and the session fee. So there are weird ways that that can balance out. And so that, that one day of work which was two hours, I got paid 800 bucks. It's a pretty great day. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind that day. Now, yeah. Now, the flip side of that reality, though, is that most actors, and all actors are working actors, even if they're not really getting, you know, legally you can say you're a working actor if you got paid $500 as an actor because they need to make it so lax for you to have write-offs because the business is so extreme <laughs> so they create all these tax breaks i mean it's 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 so dumb i you really I, I there's a reason why everyone says you should only do this if you really truly love it and think there's nothing else you could do to be happy because i, I and thankfully I, I definitely fit in that mold but like uh it, it, you're just asking to be miserable because people don't work as actors there are far more actors in la than there are in new york <clears throat> and in new york it's still technically like a million plus people. Well, that's that's like and they're a, trying for four thousand jobs. That's like maybe. the joke when you're in LA is that every one of your servers and like bartenders, well, all of them are actors. Especially in or the city. Or they're yeah, because that city is because that's what's interesting, especially about LA, which is why I was using the New York example. Is New York is it has a huge acting contingency. It's huge. Again, it's it's like close to a million of people who claim they're actors, but. This city isn't an acting city. Mm-hmm. In fact, it doesn't give a damn if you're an actor. So unlike L.A., you can't close down a block to shoot your film. You have to have a PA on every corner saying, "Could you? Would, I would appreciate it if you just waited for us to get this shot in. But I've been on sets where you just see people be like, fuck this. I got places to be. I'm walking through. I'm it's a like, New Yorker, okay, so I'm going to walk gotta through. We've got to reset Megan Fox. We've got to reset Megan Fox, and this is going to kill an extra 60 seconds, and... 
so much money is wasted on those big projects because 60 seconds is 60 seconds of 400 people's time. (laughs) And like I said before about those, you know, you get paid for your up until eight hours worth of stuff, but the second it passes that that eight hour mark, you start getting paid overtime. And there there are a lot of crazy things in terms of how that multiplies as time goes on. And there's something specifically called golden time, which is for every first minute, you get paid a full hour of your rate at double. It's nuts. Crap. Wow. You almost never get to golden because sets will, even if you're way behind, oftentimes they will calculate and be like, fuck it. We'll we'll start again another day. We'll find the day because we don't want to pay these people this much money. (laughs) Right. No, that'd be insane. Yeah. Yeah, but that's log- also logistically why, that just on the flip side, sense. that's why unions are good because that rule is in place so that you cannot overwork your actors. Right. Right. And by the way, everyone on the set specifically. Yeah. Because uh, it's not just the actors when it comes to film and TV sets, which is going to be important to think about when coming back to the video game stuff. So the idea with the main thing the union wants for voice performances is a a payout every 2 million copies sold up to 8 million. So again, that means a session fee. So it's not some crazy bonus that's not predetermined. It's whatever you were paid to be in the booth to do your job. So whatever you were paid for your day of work. Now, and again, with some people in, in the games industry, that can be you know, a couple thousand bucks or more than that, uh, especially when you're getting into the more crazy stuff of the mocap and all the rest of it, or how big is your role, you know, how much dialogue are you really doing. And what kind of game? Is it an Elder Scrolls game where clearly they just – they're not all the time having a director in the room being like, no, I need you to say it a little bit differently. A lot of those roles are recorded from people's personal studios at home where they have a room or a closet that's soundproofed. And they're given their you know, junk lines. I don't mean junk in the sense of it's useless, but junk in the sense of it's random people in the world saying right. this dialogue. Here's your and list go, of things that you have to say. Yeah, hey, we just need you to record, you know, these as different characters and these different voices. And a lot of the people who work on, you know, Bethesda games and all the rest of it are people who've been working on Bethesda games forever, so they know what they got to do. Right. But that's also why a lot of that stuff can feel and sound so stilted in a game. It's because there's no oversight. They're just recording these lines. Right. Going back to Naughty Dog, that's the great thing is they actually have them in the mocap suits. They're interacting with each other. They're moving around. So it, it doesn't feel forced. Because I've heard a lot of people say it's hard to do voice acting the, the first time because you're not – like you don't have to actually interact with individuals. and Yeah, it's just you and the page and a mic because right. usually whatever your scene partners are aren't there. Right. So there's no reacting, which is of course – acting is reacting is the, old, is the old cliche, and it's true. It's all about how you bounce back and forth. If someone says something cruelly to to you, you respond to it because it was a cruel comment. You don't just move on accordingly. Right. Uh, Same thing like if you tell a joke. It's it's you're naturally oh, yeah. going to be smiling in response, so you're exactly. you're what you say is going to have like an uplift Always in your voice and it's gonna be better. Yeah. Always better to have that to have that kind of play. But that's also just not how especially video game voice acting works. Which and we'll get uh, we'll finish up I'll finish up uh, actually before we move on to that point. But so the idea is and I don't this is one that amazes me when people are so against it. Because, uh, again, everyone's like, oh, they want royalties. No, they don't. The idea is if you made a shit ton of money on your game by selling 2 million, 4 million, 6 million, 8 million copies, 
is to basically get paid what I did for that, let's say, it was one day only. Now, of course, if I work 10 days, I'm only getting – that doesn't mean I'm getting 10 uh, session fees. I'm getting one session fee as a bonus each time. So it's whatever my rate was working on the project, I will get that again as a bonus. Right, which I it's think just not that crazy, actually. It's not that crazy, all. and I, I think this is where we talk about misinformation. Um, when you have a lay person like me, when you're hearing it, it, it does come across exactly what you're saying as legitimate bonuses. So I think, hey, you made a million dollars, I'm owed two, three, four percent of that. Um, no, something it, crazy like you do yeah, exactly. with like uh, Robert Downey in. Um, for Iron Man. Back end stuff, sure, but that's because he's Robert Downey and he, he argued that contract. That's how it he comes across, though. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just laughing because it's like it's like the only people I know who really get away with that are like him and Jack Nicholson on Batman. <laughs> like that's that's right. really it. Yeah, it's all about bargaining power. But uh, but yeah, it's it. And one thing again, some people it seems extreme, but it's true. It goes back to the idea of everyone's an actor. Is that it really is, and if you're taking LA, it's multiple millions of people for again, only thousands of jobs. So yeah, you could get that if you're not the Troy Bakers, the Ashley Johnsons, the Laura Baileys, the uh, Nolan Norths of the world who are working like crazy, and there are many more. You know, the the more animation side of voice actors, the John DiMaggio's of the world, the Tara Strong's, you know, tons of people. But if you're not those marquee names. That people use to also sell the game to be like, yeah, we got some talent here. Jennifer Hales, of course. But like you could work – again, just do a few voices on a thing and you only, you got paid 400 bucks. Now, I know that sounds – that's still a lot, 400 bucks for a day of work. It's not even a day. It's a few hours. That's awesome. Yeah. It's kick-ass. It's a downtime. Which is why when it's good, it's good. But the reality is on average that one day of work is what that actor is going to have as an actor for the next three months. And there's a lot of – and this is just the super depressing side of the business. But again, when you're not the glamorous side of it, when you're really an actor and not a lister, like an A-lister, B-lister kind of thing, a star, uh, you got to worry about – and you actually do have to worry about appearance. You, I mean you can write off a lot of stuff. You can actually write off on taxes, clothes you buy. And gym memberships and stuff, so it, it's a little bit more, again, compensated, but that eh, doesn't really help. You still got to pay those fees. I mean, you need to be fit. If you're not at least moderately, you know, put together, not with voice acting, but like, you know, as an actor, you got to work out or you got to commit to being fat. It sounds ridiculous, but like legitimately. Yeah, you have to you actually have to decide one what way or the be. other. And there's some people who can function in the middle. Uh, but that's because they have a very specific look and they can really pull it off. Otherwise you got to commit to, it's not about being perfect looking, but it's either like, I got to try to take care of myself or I don't care. And even the people who quote unquote don't care, I bet they could outwork out. They could outwork most people in a gym. It's just somehow built around the fact that they still got to keep their giant stomach. Like it's, it, it's weird. You're also dealing with every Half a year, sometimes faster, depending on how you're changing looks, new headshots. And what those are, the, uh, your photograph of your head and usually a bit of torso. Sometimes it can be full body. Oh, that's rare. And that's what you hand in with your resume every time you go into an audition. And if you don't have headshots that look current, 
you get judged. And by judged, I, I don't just mean the, st- the simple thing of like, oh, this doesn't really look like you. If it doesn't look like you, like, the, like you are when you walk in the room. Now, you know, facial hair versus face, you know, no facial hair. You can always be like, look, normally I'm shaved, but right now for a job, it's different. So I'm keeping those headshots. But I've been in auditions and I've seen people, you know, again, not when you're a star, but this is the reality for everyone else. 99% of the people who are actors. If your headshot isn't good, you get told off about it being like, this doesn't look like you. And unless you really nail your performance in that audition, they kind of write you off for that. Mm. Classes taking classes to constantly, if you're not working on shows and all the rest of it, to at least be working and constantly working on your craft, honing it and all the rest of it, costs money. Uh, The world used to be done by showcases. Now everything is this new pay-to-play model of you pay for time to be in the room with an agent, manager, or casting director. And technically it's for educational purposes because if they don't say that, you can actually sue them. so it's totally for educational purposes and not in the hopes that they love your work and try to give you a job. It's the only reason why anyone does it, by the way, in any of the major cities. But legally, that's it's all for education, we swear. Uh, there was a whole Hollywood Reporter thing where people got fired because they weren't as careful in pretending it was for educational purposes. And an exec at, I think it was NBC, but don't quote me on that, basically was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're doing this to look for people. And he lost his job because that's not legal. Uh, so most actors spend most of their income on just keeping up to date and maintenance to be a viable commodity. Make sure you have your website, the fees that go with that. It's, it's, it's a really weird world. So there's that thing of, oh my God, it looks like you're making so much money. Yeah, but it's... It, there are a lot of weird – there's a lot of weird superfluous shit you have to worry about. It's the net profit that at the end of the bleeds, day. Exactly. That bleeds out money and it sounds so petty and you know what it is. It's really fucking petty but that's what we all signed up for. We right. signed up to be in the pettiest world. <laughs> so it's also that like double-edged sword like I'm bitching and moaning but it's like – but I I knew it going in. Right. And so to kind of turn this to the games, here, here's kind of the, the rub how I'm looking at it is – Yeah, do it. You – have this dichotomy between the programmers who mm-hmm. you know honestly totally. make the game make the characters make the person actually exist and you have the voice actors who make those people at least half of them come life. to life right yeah um but the difference comes down to with those voice actors these are individuals that are basically a consultant so they're coming in they're not getting their um consistent eight to five i'm going to get a salary i'm gonna get health benefits and whatnot and so when you get into this interesting conversation of who should be protected, who should be getting these bonuses, who in the long term needs the steady compensation or the the really, really like blowback from like we did really well with this game, we need to have somebody get a tremendous amount of bonus, it gets down to kind of this minutiae and kind of back and forth of, well, this person programmed this, well, they really like the shooting, so that yeah. was this. So, but then you also have the element of, like, well, this person also is getting a consistent like salary, they're getting a 401k, they're getting bonuses mm-hmm. every year from their company because it's they actually exist at this company. company. Right. So, yeah, and that's the strange part, is that taken in isolation, what the union is asking for makes total sense. And it's actually a bastardized and much weaker version of what the union has in place for every other part of media and entertainment. Uh, 
just is. It, it's not nearly as good as what any of the other setups are. And I think I was going to get to this point later, but it, it feels a little organic to bring it up now, so why not? What's fascinating to me, and which is why I actually I pretty much fall dead middle on this. I think the strike makes sense for certain reasons, and the main thing we'll get into, which is the second big point of why the strike is happening, which I think makes total sense, and the fact that uh, the fact that people. So I guess what it is is the main other part that people are fighting for is or the union's trying to talk about is transparency in games. Because when you're working on a project, so much is in, is in secret. They don't want things leaked. So people get their – when they're hired, they often have a character that they know in the in whatever game they're working on. But they don't know the name of the game. They don't know the plot of the game. They don't know where their character interacts with anything. So they're just given a little me. bit of script. It doesn't it happen in all games. so counterintuitive to what you expect. It is. It is the dumbest thing. Now – I wrote in my little blurb of why, you know, I fell in love with RPG fan and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, uh, you know, in that blurb and my about, I mentioned that, like, I part of what really drove me into acting, I was already kind of down that road. And then that was early voiceover stuff in uh, console games. So Metal Gear Solid and FF10 were two giant kind of transformative moments for me. But what always pissed me off is that Final Fantasy X has incredible talent behind its voices. And I I know everyone makes fun of that game, but rightly so. And I think people give it too much of a break because it was one of the first voiceover games. But it's... There's some of the best talent in the business on that game. And it sucks half the time. Like, it sucks. Yeah, I'm sorry. Everybody always points out the laughing scene, but yeah, there's the, plenty that's of the things obvious one, other... But there's, like, there's so much garbage. Yeah. But again, you read the name of that of that cast, and it's astounding. And a lot of it is, especially at the time, the practice was, even if you knew what game you were working on, you weren't really given a script ahead of time to work on. You know, Normally when you work on a play, you work on a film, you work on a TV show, or any kind of content, you're given your whatever you're tasked with, unless you're a guest star, you know, way ahead of time, weeks. And you get to create a character, think it out, read over the script, understand the nuance of how how you interact and through circumstances, what people say and all the rest of it, you create your character. Well, you also are given the opportunity then to possibly refuse being on that because you don't. Yes, because you actually know the project too. Right. That's, that's also true. That's just, that, that is a good point. But just from a performance perspective, it's that idea of you actually have time to create something and right. work on it. Whereas oftentimes it and it still happens is this weird thing of like, hey, you got this job on this project. You have no idea what it's about. And we're not going to tell you really anything except when you're in the room with us recording for those three hours and those three hours only. And uh, we're just going to have to figure it out on the fly. And hopefully we get to where we want. Right. Which is just sounds And terrible. you still feel it, by the way, in so many games, especially now when you have games that go above and beyond to make sure performance is great. Like we referenced the Naughty Dog. That's the easy, easy you know, point to because they do fantastic work. They, they do straight up performance. It's theater just being recorded digitally. And yeah, uh, I mean, you see the difference between that and even if they didn't have mocap, just if they were in a room recording VO back and forth, like that with that, that has a huge, huge difference. It's a weird reason why Metal Gear Solid was better than it should have been voice acting wise. Is they actually had the talent together. They were in a really weird, ridiculous room. You should listen to that game in former podcast. 
about the recording of all that dialogue. It's really fascinating. But, like, their conditions sucked. That game should not have sounded as good as it did, considering. But they were in a room together, so they actually got to act and react. So a big thing that the strike is about is this idea of actually knowing what the hell you're working on so you can actually create a character and then not get penalized for people being like, oh, your performance sucked in that. It's like, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, apparently I was a dog. They never told me that. Yeah. Like, I would have changed, you know, everything. That makes so much more sense. So, it's, so and I, we should wrap this up, and I'm sorry that I'm I'm probably oh, ranting fine. a lot. Um, but, so, I, I guess I can give a business perspective on this. Yeah, please. Um, I've done a lot of business consulting work. Um, I've also worked in very large cor- corporations, and I've worked in startups. Um, and so one of the big things is always compensation, um, understanding duties, like I've been in charge of actually building, this is what you're going to be working on. So then when you're hiring the people they know, and then also when you're onboarding individuals. Um, right. and so on the transparency side, it, it just, it makes no sense to me. Um, it also makes no sense. It's very easy to draw parallels between video games and film. And with film, like, you know, what films are coming out for the next seven, eight years. Um, and I've always found it so intriguing that video games have to be so secretive about it. Um, we're so secretive about it, but then we announce something where it's like four years advanced, and it's like, well, now we're going to have to hear little bits and pieces about this forever. Um, where in the film industry, it's like, all right, we already know like the next five years of Star Wars films and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we don't actually find out any trailers or we don't have any tidbits until nine months before, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. And we do the exact opposite in video games. We don't tell anybody anything until two or three years. And then all of a sudden it's like, here's our first trailer, announcement trailer. And then you're going to get a trailer every three to six months until that game comes out. And so it, it just seems so – it seems backwards with that in that regard. And what I, and what I don't get is look, you sign an NDA on pretty much every project. Yep. And I mean that from commercials to film, to TV, any job to you ever video do, games. You'll, you'll sign yeah, stuff. Yeah, and of also that too. No, and you're totally right. But specifically, like, just in the perspective of, let's say, working on a video game, you're signing an NDA. Right. Now, people, of course, through resumes and things get leaked, and right. And that's the hard that's, thing. And that's you guys are always and that's more about how yeah, exactly. And when you work on something, you you are allowed to put that on your resume. So maybe part of it has to be be more creative and just mention. The publishing company, but again, a lot of actors don't understand the video game business because they're just not gamers but and here, understand that. Here's it's the like business perspective of this. If we don't want our games to be leaked by resumes, let's work with the voice actors in this regard. Let's actually announce yeah, these games I mean. are in development when we start development on them. And well, then, well, I mean, that would be the easy solution. Right. But, at the same, but Yeah, I know. I mean, that is that is the easiest why isn't that happening thing. But even if, let's say, they're still stubborn and they don't want to, you know, unveil that shit, then just let them say, you know, let people be able to say, oh, I worked on this. And then if someone says something on social media, yeah, don't hire them again because they just broke an NDA. And by the way, that's happened plenty of times. I I think that's one of the main reasons why, I mean, no, there is no way to back this up. But there's certain actors that I was going to mention that aren't working in AAA games that did for a while and were getting major pushes by the publishers that were using them. And then certain leaks would happen on certain other games because of their social media or resume. And maybe they're not looking to be in the game space anymore, but you got a chance that there's a very good chance that they broke those contracts. And a lot of these companies are just like, no, no. I don't know who he's talking about. So this isn't in parallel to that, but literally every Assassin's Creed, every Assassin's Creed game has been leaked because of a voice actor. Yeah. 
Yeah, or someone working on the game on yep. Subway. <laughs> yeah, that's the other one. Left their phone or their that. computer open. I love it so much. Um, so the transparency one, I feel like that's something that's much easier. The it's the pay that always gets me. I know, I know. That's, that's and that's, that's the hard, the hard one. one. And I, I can see both sides of it, and that's where I, I feel like I fall more in the middle of the line, like you you said you did. Of I understand that you guys need compensation. I understand as a consultant because I've lived the consultant life and. Being concerned, like I just finished this big project, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, to a certain degree, when I was a consultant, I realized I signed up for that. Yes, and and this is kind of my thing. Now, uh, I guess before I get into it again, it's just like what they're the reason why it, it, I am so middle ground on this, and I am such a devil's advocate, is that. The milestones they're hitting and they're asking for compensation for are not – like that means the companies did well. It's right. not like, hey, we're asking for something when we don't deserve it. And these it, milestones million, are much smaller than I thought they were. Yeah, and it's it ends at $8 million. And again, their session – again, yes, your session fee could be way more expensive depending on the role. And I see how companies would be against it because there's a difference between – Oh, there was a core cast of five people who worked on this game, and yeah, there were other people who did voices, but you know their session fee is only going to be 150 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever. Uh, again, I'm making up numbers, but I'm just trying to create the scale in, in a listener's head. But technically, with an open world game, maybe you had 800 actors, right, or a thousand actors, even if they were just doing. A few lines because you wanted that variety. Now I don't. No, that's not. That's not how it works. Usually you just get a bunch of people to do a bunch, a bunch of, of voices. voices. But again, I'm just making a point. I think it's more on the principle of it that there's there's an issue because again the the quote unquote compensation is for again 99% of the actors who this would affect. It's going to be really minimal. Right. It's really going to be that $200 check. But there are a few people who that check is that that check is going to be way 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 bigger. That's so that's that's the hard part. The other issue is we're talking about a union that it doesn't always win, but it has spent a lot of time manicuring its uh, its structure. And by that I mean the film industry and the TV industry, radio, SAG dictates rules. The unions dictate a lot of how that functions. And so do you know the gaffers union, the lighting union, all that stuff. There are set precedents on how everything works, and it's all about tweaking. And for years and years and years, whenever there's bargaining, it's all about tweaking. Video games are a new frontier. Right. I really do believe that, and I don't mean that in the sense of, yeah, of course, there's been video game acting for a while. It's not new. But in terms of the union really focusing on it, I think because of Telltale and what they're doing, because of how Naughty Dog does their stuff, people like Ninja Theory when they brought in uh, – oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, and how they also did motion capture. You know, A lot of studios care much more about the writing and the performance now. And what's sad is it feels like this is the first time the union recently noticed – Oh, we should care. Well, in all honesty, the 360 and the PS3 era was kind of the transition from, hey, these are a bunch of dorks that are playing with these toys in their basement to this is actually... Hey, we're going to go super in-depth, mature stuff. And you, I mean, you had 
flavors of it, but not on that AAA scale. I, I think that was totally. kind of where the society as a whole made that With you switch. a thousand percent. And unfortunately, a lot of this, to me, again, not the transparency thing, that makes total sense, but the compensation, it felt like, how do we figure out a creative way mm-hmm. to benefit? And while I do think it, it is incredibly beneficial to, like I said, a vast majority of people, and it, it really would make a difference, because it's a bonus structure instead of it just being, hey, let's figure out primary compensation and maybe make you know, hiring – I'm not saying you know, get a huge bonus, but maybe you worry about that a little bit more, <laughs> the actual payment instead of how do I get a bonus – it just feels like they're trying to figure out what they can get. Right. I don't want to make a writer's strike analogy because that was totally different. It gave us reality TV, which was depressing. <laughs> but, you know, that, that wonderful South Park of like, we want that internet monies. Right. It's like, well, what the hell do you mean you want the internet monies? Now, this isn't nearly close to that. Right. And that, to, that's... to say that as much, I'm, I, I deserve, you know, a little bit of, <laughs> of hate for that. But it's hard, to com- it's hard to compare it to film because films had the last... It's its own world. It's totally 50, different. 60 exactly. years to actually get this to a point that it's And so it's the acceptable. union is taking everything it understands from that world and saying, yeah, we're going to do the same thing here. And yes, this what they're trying to argue for is different from what film and television has and radio and all that. It's They're trying to create their own rules. But again, it's this is a system, like you said, those games get made for four years, right. three years, two years. And you are, as the performer, the... The final touch. Now, in many ways, in movies, that's also kind of how it's it also works. True, yes. perform- yeah, it is. But much more so than in games, because it's your actual likeness, usually. And even if it is your likeness in a game, still someone has to animate you yeah. and do all this crazy shit. Uh, it's a lot more evident how many hands are in play. Yeah. You know, how many how many fingers touch everything in games. Whereas in film and TV if you're focused on the shot, usually it's because someone did something wrong. Not because, usually you want to be focused on whatever the camera's showing you, and that's it. If you're thinking about the technical side of it, yes, on some occasions it's because they've nailed it so perfectly that you're like, wow, that is that is just exquisite looking or horrifying or whatever. But most of the time it's because someone messed up or it doesn't look as good as it should. That's the only reason why you think about everyone else. And to an extent, there's a little bit of that in the game. You know, you only really focus on, oh, yeah, it's a game when it gets broken or some random glitch happens. But I think it is so much more clear in a game to be like, there was an animator or a sculptor who just worked on this map. That was his job, this level. And, you know, that those three people made an outstanding, you know, design choice and created something special. And then I get to walk through it. It gets much harder. I, I think the the best way to kind of sum this up is it's, we're stuck in a lot yeah, of in-betweens. Please. Please. If we're in a new frontier. We're still trying to figure everything out. Um, I think it's going to be – we're going to continue to hear stories about this as mm-hmm. the years go by as we try to figure this out because it, it is a – I think you brought it up a good point. It's a continual process, and unfortunately we're at the very front end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be lots of arguments. There's going to be lots of hurt feelings. Um, oh, yeah. But hopefully we can ultimately find a solution that is both good for the voice actors, good for the programmers, good for the companies, and most importantly, good for us as the people that yeah, get to totally. enjoy the entertainment. Because I would like to work in games. Yeah. And I can't really leave the union, so got to figure that out. So if 
you'd like to hire Chris, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> that'd be amazing. You um, let me know. I live in New York. Reach out to him on Twitter. Super giant. You're one borough away. That's all I'm saying. So, we really appreciate you listening to this very, very different uh, podcast. It is a very interesting topic. We could probably talk for another ten hours about this. Yes, but um, we shouldn't because it's boring. We're gonna stop here. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, though. So please reach out on the boards, on Twitter to us. Um, send your emails to retroidrpgfan.com. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Come gather round, children. It's high time he learns about a hero named Homer and a devil named Burns. We'll march till we drop the girls and the fellas. We'll fight till the death or else fold like umbrellas. So we'll march day and night by the big cooling tower. They have the plant, but we have the power.